Welcome to the Paranormal Pendle podcast, coming to you from the heart of Pendle Witch Country in the northwest of England. My name is Craig Bryant, author, investigator, and collector of stories. Join me as we take a journey into the paranormal, UFO sightings, cryptozoology, and big cats. This is the Paranormal Pendle podcast. Welcome to this special Halloween episode of the Paranormal Pendle podcast, broadcasting to the Paranormal UK Radio Network at paukradio.com. My guest on this very special edition is uh, returning author and tour guide, Simon Entwistle, um, who did my first ever podcast with me. So thank you for returning, Simon. It's absolutely great to talk to you. Um, And you're going to tell us all about the story of the Pendle Witches. That's right, Craig. And first, I can say thank you very much for kindly inviting me. It's um, really nice to talk to you again. Um, Basically, Craig, I conduct a variety of guided tours throughout the whole of Lancashire into Yorkshire. Um, Tour guiding is my real passion, and um, I absolutely love the Ribble Valley and um, really do take a lot of pride in in promoting the area. Uh, By far the most interesting part of the area is indeed East Lancashire and the Pendle Witches. Um, It's the most amazing story, the sort of story that if really Steven Spielberg got his teeth into, he would have a truly fantastic Hollywood blockbuster. So let's turn the clock back in time and you'll have to use your imagination because we're gonna go back to the year 1603. And at that period of time, we had this fantastic queen on the throne of England called Queen Elizabeth I. Now, she led by example. Uh, People loved her. She defeated the Spanish Armada way back in 1588. And many historians to this very, very day believe that she was probably our finest ever monarch. When she passed away in 1603, she was replaced by none other than King James VI of Scotland, who then became King James I of England. And this man was absolutely paranoid about witchcraft. He not only believed that witches existed, he believed they were actually out to get him. On becoming King of England, he'd written a book called The Demonology Book. And you can buy The Demonology Book today from any leading bookshop. And as you pick it up, how to find a witch, how to try a witch, and most importantly, how to eradicate a witch. Now, throughout the whole length of Great Britain, the area known as the Forest of Pendle was situated in East Lancashire. In the centre of that forest, is a very, very large hill, which is still there to this very, very day, called Pendle Hill. The area was always predominantly Catholic. Now, the king was an ardent Protestant. He hated the Catholics with a vengeance. And uh, families such as the Townleys of Burnley, the Shireburns of the Ribble Valley, the Singletons of Guznar, the Southwards of Preston, they were all Catholic. So the king had his suspicions on the area and gave orders for every single one of his magistrates to watch out for illegal Catholic gatherings. And caught up in all this hysteria and paranoia were a group of people that would go down in history as the Pendle Witches. Now, these so-called witches lived deep in the forest of Pendle in little villages such as Newchurch, Barley, Ruffley, and Blackhoe. They're all quite near to each other, actually, within shouting distance, really. What made two of these so-called witches quite unique 
is that two of them were over 85 years old. Now, life expectancy for that period of time would have been, would you believe, 35. But these two women were doing very well. They both had nicknames, but they're, in, in the case of these two, the first names were Anne Whittle of New Church, 85 years old, commonly known as Bessie Chattox. The other lady was an equally elderly woman of 85, known simply as Elizabeth Southerns, commonly known as Demdike. Now, many people believe that these two women lived for so long because they knew all about various plants. And of course, all modern medicines will come from plants. It's said that Demdike and Chattox, as their nicknames were mentioned, had a keen dislike of each other. It has been said that um, Bessie Chattox broke into Malkin Tower, the home of Demdike and the Device family, and stole an item of clothing and indeed a bag of meal. There was no love between these two ladies, no love whatsoever. Um, in the case of um, Bessie Chattox, she had a daughter called Anne Redfern, and they lived in New Church in Pendle. Living somewhere in the Blacko New Church area was indeed Demdike and her brood, the Device family. Elizabeth Device, her daughter, her grandchildren, James, Alison and Jeanette Device. They lived at Malkin Tower. Now, Malkin Tower sounds great, doesn't it, really? But it would have been a hovel, a hovel of a building, probably a one-roomed limestone building known simply as Malkin Tower. And our story starts there, way back on the 18th of March, 1612, when Alison Device, Alison is Demdike's granddaughter. She had a walk along the foothills of Pendle and had the misfortune of meeting a Halifax peddler called John Law. When I say peddler, John Law was basically a walking salesman. He had a large pack in his back full of 1612 luxuries. He would make his way into the little villages of Ruffley, Downham, Barley, Blacko, Clitheroe, Paddyham, and into Burnley sometimes as well to sell his wares. He was indeed basically a walking shop, but also a walking newspaper. He would give information to each village as he arrived and as he left. Now, he had the misfortune of meeting young uh, Alison, and Alison begged of him, oh, please, sir, please, sir, you can spare a few pins to pin me clothing together, sir. Get away with you, shouted John Law. I'm not taking me pack off for you, lass. You got no money, no use to me. Please, sir, just a few pins, sir. According to John Law, the Halifax peddler, out of the cone to Trawden Road beneath the shadow of Pendle Hill appeared a huge black dog with snarling white teeth and glowing red eyes. The dog sat next to Alison, and by all accounts, according to John Law, the dog turned, looked at Alison, and said, I can lame him for you. Lame him, she screamed. Law felt this terrible pain on his left arm, left leg, and collapsed in agony on the cone to Trawden Road beneath the shadow of Pendle Hill. The kind people of Cone could see him, a market town north of Pendle, and they got a stretcher party together and they carried him into an old inn, which is long since gone in the marketplace of Cone. There the landlord um, spoon-fed him, cleaned him, and as John Law's voice returned, he shouted, I've been cursed. There's a witch in the forest, a young lass with a dog. Send letters back to me family. Tell them what's happened to me. Letters were sent back to Halifax and John Law's eldest son, Abraham, received the first letter. My father's in trouble. I better go and collect him. He set off from Halifax 
arrived in the market town of Cone and walked into the old inn where indeed John Law was being treated. Law looked up from his sickbed. It's you, your witch, your curse blast, didn't you? That dog you had, I heard it talk. This young girl of 14 burst into tears and begged and begged and begged forgiveness. She had no idea. She just admitted to a state capital offence of witchcraft. And quite surprisingly, John Law, the Halifax peddler, was about to forgive her, but not his son Abraham. Oh no, we'll have you for this. I'm gonna go and get magistrates. And that's exactly what Abraham did do. The local magistrate was called Roger Noel. Roger Noel lived in the village of Reed near Burnley. He was in charge of the whole area. It has been said that Roger Noel was also rather concerned about witchcraft and had a keen dislike to them. I suppose just like the king, he was in the same team. There's no choice about it. He'd also read the book of demonology, which the king had written, and was also fully aware that if he could incriminate this young girl, he was indeed going to carry favour with the King of England personally. So therefore, he had Alison arrested. She was brought to Reed Hall near Burnley, and there for the second time inside 24 hours, she burst into tears and begged and begged forgiveness. She had no idea. She just admitted to a state capital offence of witchcraft. She gave Roger Noel a lot more information. Uh, my grandmother, uh, she's a witch. So is Betty Chattox and her daughter Anne Redfern. We are familiars. Familiars, said Roger Noel. Uh, yes, sir, dogs, Tib, Ball, Fancy, Dandy. These dogs came to us, sir, at different times of our lives. They talked to us, sir. They said, we can give you special powers, but in return, we need to suckle from your flesh and take your soul, sir. We also have been to New Church Cemetery, sir, where we've made clay pictures, sir. Clay pictures, said Roger Noel. Uh, yes, sir, uh, clay pictures, sir. With, we have actually had human hair and, and human teeth taken from New Church Cemetery, sir. The dogs then tell us who to curse, sir. We crumble the clay picture over the fire, sir, and people die. Roger Noel, the local magistrate, was actually not scared by all accounts, but actually quite delighted. He had a confession. He therefore made his way to nearby fence, to a place called Hobstones, where he interviewed Demdike and indeed her brood. But he also uh, gave orders that Demdike and Redfern and Bessie Chaddock should be arrested and sent straight to Reed Hall, where they met young Alison by all accounts. And this huge argument erupted amongst the four of them. Remember, there is no love whatsoever between Demdike and Chaddock. So real hatred so they tried to blame each other the blame went around the table twice and came back twice as a result all four of them actually self-incriminated they made the long journey from reed over the trough of boland and into the city of lancaster where they are thrown into what we call the well tower at lancaster city castle a very very deep underground dungeon as you walk down the steps the light behind you fades there in total darkness, these four women are literally chained to the floor and they're gonna wait for four long, long, cold, damp months before the trial begins. In the meantime, deep in the forest of Pendle at the little cottage called Malkin Tower, Elizabeth Device is very, very concerned about her grandmother, Demdike. Uh, sorry, her mother, Demdike. She's also very, very concerned about her daughter, Alison. 
and she organises on Good Friday what has gone down in history as the Good Friday meeting, where all these other so-called witches met at Malkin Tower. It must have looked a bit like a scene from a Shakespeare play as they sat in a circle. Alison's brother James slaughtered the sheep from the fell and they dined on fresh mutton. They also got a cooking vessel cooking away, which was called a cauldron. And apparently into that cauldron went crushed human teeth, the odd clay pitcher, and indeed the odd human skull. Apparently the whole idea of this Good Friday meeting was to get a potion together to blow the gates of Lancaster City Castle open and to rescue their loved ones. However, nothing happened. What did happen is word of the Good Friday meeting reached the ears of Roger Noel, the local magistrate, and he gave orders that every single person who had attended the Good Friday meeting should be arrested immediately. When word filtered into the Forest of Pendle of imminent arrests, three people thought there's no way we are gonna hang around. Christopher Howgate and his wife, Barbara, and Isabel Sigros, they left the area and saved their lives. We never heard of them again. It's said they made their way into the West Riding of Yorkshire, but in doing so, they saved their lives. The ones that were successfully arrested from the Good Friday meeting were Jeanette Preston of Gisborne, West Yorkshire, Margaret Pearson of Padium, Catherine Hewitt, Alice Gray of Cone, Elizabeth Device, James Device, Jeanette Device of Malkin Tower, John and Jane Bullcock, a mother and son from the village of Blackhoe, and the real star of the show, Alice Nutter of Roughly, a noble woman. They were all sent to Lancaster with the exception of the two Jeanettes. Jeanette Preston, she came from Gisborne, West Yorkshire. So therefore she is sent to the city of York. Her husband goes with her, villagers go with her, and they beg for her release. However, the circuit judges in York said, apparently the king has signed her death warrant. She was dead before she even arrived here. She made a plea of not guilty, but was found guilty of the murder of her employer, Mr. Thomas Lister. She'd been nursing him. Remember, life expectancy was 35 if you were lucky. He had a terrible fever. She was nursing him at the house, which is still there to this very day in the village of Gisborne. He died, she wrapped his body in a clean white sheet ready for burial, and two days before the burial, she touched the sheet and some fresh blood came through the sheeting. This was classed as witchcraft, and she became the very, very first of the Pendle witches to be executed in the city of York on the 27th of July, 1612, in front of huge, huge crowds. The other Jeanette, she was the little girl that lived at Malkin Tower, whilst her grandmother Demdike, her mother Elizabeth, her brother James and sister Alison had been sent to Lancaster. By all accounts, she had been sent to live with the local magistrate, Roger Noel, at Reed Hall. For the very, very first time in her life, she had nice clothes to wear, apparently, a lovely warm bed sleeping, and three meals a day, something she had never experienced before. Roger Noel, the local magistrate, wrote to the King of England personally, Sir, I have witches waiting to be tried in the city of Lancaster. The King was absolutely delighted and sent two circuit judges, James Oltham, Edmund Bromley, 
a young boy called Thomas Potts, and that's why we are here today. Who was Thomas Potts? Well, he was sent up from London with the two circuit judges as the clerk to the courts at Lancaster, and his duty was to record everything that was said at the trials in Lancaster City Castle. What we do know is that James Oltham, Edmund Bromley, Thomas Potts were, were greeted at Lancaster by, by Roger Noel, William Holden and John Bannister, two other local magistrates. The jury consisted of all male and the prosecution was all male. Way back in 1612, it seems that women were not permitted to possess a brain. And it was believed at that time that women didn't even have a brain. And when it came to male chauvinism, women suffered terribly in this country. The trials began on the 17th of August, 1612, in the city of Lancaster. Well, Demdike, Elizabeth Southern, that was her real name, she died before the trials began. In her absence, she was found guilty of witchcraft on the evidence of her granddaughter, little Jeanette Device. As she was brought into the court, Roger Noel, the local magistrate, picked her up and put her on top of a desk so the jury could see her. There she explained to the jury how these dogs, Tib, Ball, Fancy, Dandy, had come to Malkin Tower and how she'd seen them on a regular basis, uh, actually suckling from Chattox and Demdike's body and taking their souls, if you will. She explained that these dogs talked and told them who to actually curse and also to fashion clay pictures. It seems that a little girl of that age could not be manipulated, at least that's what the jury were convinced of. The fact that she'd been living with Roger Noel for the last four months in beautiful surroundings. Her own mother was quite shocked in court. She shouted, stop it, Jeanette, stop it. You don't know what you're saying. Have my mother removed from the court, sir. She is embarrassing me. Demdike was found guilty in her absence of the murder of Richard Asherton of the village of Downham near Clitheroe. He had arrived there. Um, she had arrived there with her granddaughter, Alison, they had linked arms, she was practically blind, and they made their way up to uh, the hall where the Ashton family lived in the village of Downham and begged. Ashton said, get off my land, get off my land. Well, according to him, he'd been cursed. He did die, apparently, 14 months later. She was also found guilty of the murder of the child of Richard Baldwin. He was a miller from Burnley, again, uh, Demdike and her granddaughter Alison Device had linked arms and they made their way into Burnley to the home of, uh, of uh, Richard Baldwin. He was grinding bread. You can imagine if you're starving, the smell of freshly baked bread must have been overpoweringly beautiful. They begged off him. He said, get off my land, you're not welcome. Get off my land. I'll hang them, I'll hang you both. According to Baldwin, uh, Demdike turned round and saw his baby daughter in a cradle. I'll curse her! I'll curse her! Apparently that's what she said, according to Baldwin. The little girl also died, but a good year and a half later. She was also found guilty of aiding um, Alison Device and indeed Alice Nutter of the murder of Henry Mitten of Ruffley because he wouldn't give them a penny. The court found her guilty of all three murders and she was found guilty in her absence. Of course, she'd passed away. Next person up from the, from the cells 
was poor old Anne Whittle, commonly known as Old Chattox. She was described by Thomas Potts as being basically a skeleton in rags. She was in a terrible, terrible state of health. She'd been lying in her own waist for over four months. The aroma inside the court must have been overpowering. And the poor woman, her teeth were chattering away with fear and probably cold that must have gone into her bones. There she was found guilty of the murder of five local people, Robert Nutter, John Devise, Anne Nutter, John Moore, Hugh Moore. She apparently had a dog called Fancy that had come to see her in New Church in Pendle in the form of a little boy with a brown jacket on. The little boy had talked to her, then turned into a dog and said, I can give you special powers, but in return, I need to suckle from your flesh and take your soul. According to the court, she freely admitted to this situation on the understanding that her daughter, Anne Redfern, would be released. Her daughter was brought into the court. There she was found guilty of aiding her, her mother in the murder of Christopher Nutter. Uh, no relation whatsoever to, the, to Robert Nutter or indeed Anne Nutter. Apparently, from what we are told through the legends from from the old wives of Nelson and Cone, is that Christopher Nutter had apparently tried to, had tried to rape Anne, and she'd fought him off. Of course, he thought of a good way of getting rid of her, accusing her of witchcraft. And this certainly seemed to work very well, in particular when young Jeanette Devise confirmed that she'd been at the Good Friday meeting, and also she'd been inside Malkin Tower when these dogs arrived. Then came Elizabeth Devise. Jeanette's uh, mother. Um, she was not a very pleasant sight to look at. Um, she'd been again lying in her own waist. The aroma in the court was pretty horrible. One eye looked up, one eye looked down. In fact, she looked quite a horrific sight, apparently. According to Thomas Potts, she really was not pleasant to look at. She was found guilty of witchcraft. She was found guilty of the murder of John Robinson, James Robinson, and Henry Mitten of Rough Lee. There, she accepted her fate. Then came young James Device. Now, James was apparently classed as a bit of a dimwit by uh, Thomas Potts. Thomas, of course, was going to write a book a year later called The Wonderful Discovery of Witches in Lancashire, which were going to earn him a fortune. It's the only window we have in this whole story, and we have to rely on that book being honest and truthful. What I can tell you, is there was no defence council at Lancaster because no one dared take on the King of England. And certainly Thomas Potts was very, very loyal to the King. And a lot of the royalties from this book, The Wonderful Discovery, would actually go to the person that stopped Guy Fawkes from blowing up the King in 1605. So he was uh, definitely not gonna accept the King of England. James Devise was brought into court. He was in such a bad state of health, he had to be carried in by two wardens. He was lapsing in and out of consciousness. There, he freely admitted to witchcraft. He told the courts, if you were to go to Malkin Tower and start digging, you will find clay pictures near the front door. According to Thomas Potts's book, these were brought into court and used as evidence against them. As it happened though, James freely admitted to the murder of Anne Townley. John Hargreaves, Blaise Hargreaves and John Duckworth by fashioning clay pictures on the orders of the dog called Ball. And um, 
he executed this beautifully by fashioning the clay pictures and crumbling them into the fire at Malkin Tower. Well, this is where the story takes a bit of a sinister, sinister twist. In the court that day were three other people, John and Jane Balcock, a mother and son, and the real star of the show, Alice Nutter. There's so much mystery surrounding these three people. Again, I'm gonna use some information that has come down from my grandmother, my great-grandmother and great-great-great-grandmother who all came from the Nelson area. And I remember as a little boy sitting down and talking to my grandmother and she mentioned that John and Jane Balcock were tenant farmers uh, at Blackhill. The land that they worked on was owned by Alice Nutter. She came from Ruffley and her home is still there to this very day. It's a rather beautiful building called Ruffley Hall. Uh, to this very day, you can see just how grand it is really. It has been said, never confirmed or, or disconfirmed, that John and Jane complained to Alice Nutter about their land, which was getting smaller and smaller. They were losing cattle, they were losing sheep. And uh, they did complain about this to um, Alice. Now, in 1612, women were not allowed to have a brain, but Alice was going to use hers. She went to see Roger Noel, apparently, and complained to him about the land disputes on her land. He did nothing about it. Again, never confirmed or disputed, Alice went to Lancaster and she complained to the senior magistrates at Lancaster about the land disputes in her land and also to mention that Roger Noel had done nothing about it. It has been said, never confirmed or denied, that Roger Noel was disciplined by the senior magistrates and really embarrassed for not doing his job properly. He thought, I need to get rid of this woman. How can I get rid of her? Aha, I have a trump card up my sleeve and that trump card was the little girl once again, Jeanette Devise. Um, she was picked up, put on top of a desk for the second time that day, and Noel pointed to John and Jane and Alice Nutter in the corner of the courtroom at Lancaster. Uh, Jeanette, these three people here, John and Jane Borkock, Alice Nutter, were they at your home at Malkintown Good Friday in the Forest of Pendle? They were, sir. A look of shock and horror came across their faces as they realized on the evidence of a little girl, they were being found guilty of witchcraft. They made pleas of not guilty. But John and Jane were found guilty of turning a young girl called Jean Maud completely insane from West Yorkshire. And Alice was found guilty of aiding Demdike and Alison Device in the murder of Henry Mitten of Ruffley because he wouldn't give her a penny. Surely a woman of this wealth would not need to beg. There's so much mystery surrounding Alice. We know she made a plea of not guilty along with John and Jane, but on the evidence of this little girl, they were found guilty of witchcraft. The Pendle witches were then sent to the gallows at Lancaster. They were joined by a lady called Isabel Roby, who came from Windle near St. Helens, and she was going to join them on the gallows. As they climbed onto the gallows, the ropes were placed around their necks, their hands tied behind their backs, Again, it hasn't been confirmed or denied, but it's very, very likely that watching that day was the little girl, Jeanette. She was going to watch her entire family die, along with the landowners and the inhabitants of, of Cone and Padium. And uh, as the stools are kicked out from underneath them, she would watch them all pass away. We do know that she survived. 
she made her way back to a cold and empty cottage on the slopes of Pendle Hill. We know that three years later, she was rearrested. A young boy called Edmund Robinson had been walking through the forest of Pendle and apparently seen her commit acts of witchcraft. Of course, with her family reputation, this was taken very, very seriously and she was arrested. She was sent to the city of Lancaster, down to London where the poor girl was stripped naked and looked on, looked at for marks on her body. She was then sent back to Lancaster, then down to London three times and after three and a half years of traveling up and down the country, this young boy Robinson said, actually, I made it all up. I didn't see her do anything. So you could see that witchcraft or the superstition surrounding it absolutely destroyed this young girl's life and of course her entire family. What we have got of course to this very very day is the story. There have been many documentaries made about the Pendle Witches but never ever a film and as I mentioned at the start of this um, interview I personally feel that if Steven Spielberg really did get his teeth into this uh, story he would have a blockbuster of a story. In 2012, we had the 400th anniversary of this uh, very tragic events. And I remember um, attending a ceremony in Ruffley where a statue of Alice was actually unveiled. Her back was facing Lancaster. She is in chains and the artist did a magnificent job on her face. It's a look of total, total innocence. Many people, myself, um, myself agree that this poor woman lost her life, nothing to do with witchcraft, but perhaps to do with male chauvinism. And her statue has become very much a symbol of female rights. You can go there all year round and find bunches of flowers surrounding her. And she's gone down as a bit of a hero in the same league as Grace Darling, Emmeline Pankhurst, Edith Cavall. What we do find amazing, it has happened on a few occasions, is when the snows come to Pendle Hill, the last piece of snow to melt has been in the perfect shape of a white witch. Were they witches? Well, I will leave that for you to decide. What I can tell you is on Halloween, Pendle Hill looks more like Wembley Stadium, when thousands and thousands of people from across the country will make their way to this hill in East Lancashire in the hope that they will find a Pendle witch. Thank you to Simon for telling the Pendle Witch story in such an interesting and intriguing way. You can contact Simon at his website which is tophattours.co.uk and you can go to my website which is craigbryant.co.uk where you'll find details of this podcast and also details of my book and upcoming projects. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this Halloween special. It's been a really fascinating story to listen to and remember to keep watching the shadows.